God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And um, so our desire is that you'll make Downey First Christian Church your church home and also Jesus the Lord of your life. Um, and those of you who are watching online, uh, also you can, you can visit us uh, in person anytime that you want. But I just want to add one thing. Actually, a couple things. One thing that I want to add is that um, I want to meet you. Like, if this is your first time, one of the things that happens is church is over, and then I'm talking to everybody, um, and then I'm not able to, to meet those who come for the first time. Last week, we had, I was able to meet seven people that went to the guest lounge. I was able to introduce myself and all those things. So I'm super happy about that. Super excited. I promise you it's going to take 30 seconds. It's going to take 30 seconds. I just want to, I want to know your name. I want to introduce myself. And so after this message is done, I'm going to walk out and I'm going to go into the guest lounge. The guest lounge is a little living room area that we have as a church. It's special so that I can meet you and we can hang out for a little bit. Uh, if you go out this door, you go make a, make a right, and then it's right at the middle of the hall. You go out that door, it's on your left. And I'll be there and I would love to meet you, all right? Also, those of you who come to church every Sunday... Uh, we're called Christ Ambassadors, and so I want to give you permission to invite your friends and neighbors and family members to church, uh, because if these messages are helpful to you, uh, this church experience is helpful to you, why not invite a friend, all right? Okay, so um, Luke chapter 10 is the verse that we're going to be uh, reading today. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38 uh, through 42. Uh, Morgan already read it, but I'm going to read it again just so we know exactly uh, what this, this whole message and, and new series is going to be about. So uh, Luke chapter 10, if you have a Bible, please go there. If you don't have a Bible, we have the words on the screen. So it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Uh, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. She was distracted. Remember that word, distracted. She was distracted by all the preparations uh, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answers, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Remember that phrase, few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So today we're starting a brand new uh, series, and we've called it the Gospel Series, the Gospel Series. And I want to I explain to you why this series is, is so important for us as a church and for you personally. Because I grew up believing that the gospel was for the unbeliever. Like, that's what I thought. Like, all you had to do was you had to hear the gospel, and then once you heard the gospel and you did what you had to do, like you walk down the aisle, you raise your hand, you, you know, write it on the card, you get baptized, you do the sinner's prayer, then you don't need the gospel anymore. Now you've got to move into deeper things or deeper subjects. And so my, my thought was that the gospel was basic. That's like, the, that's, like, that's like 101 is the gospel, and then you had to move on to things that were more important. You now needed more. Uh, Luther says, um, uh, great reformer, uh, 1500s, Luther, Luther, Luther says, um, I need to preach the gospel to my congregation every week because they forget the gospel every week, and I need to preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget the gospel every day. And so what I want to do in this series is for us to be able to understand this. It doesn't get any deeper than the gospel. Okay. The gospel is not part of what we believe. It is the thing that we believe. Okay. 
Luther also said, he says this, the cross alone is our theology. A uh, pastor that I, that I uh, follow has a, has a crazy name. His name's Tolian uh, Chijivan. Ch- Chijivan? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, he says, he says talking to pastors, he says, most pastors think that they need to preach about 10,000 different subjects. That, he says, no. Pastors need to preach the same thing in 10,000 different ways. Because this, the gospel isn't a thing that we preach. The gospel is the most important thing. In fact, the Bible is a unified, the whole Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Um, no one ever graduates from the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. I don't know about you, but I need good news every single day of my life. Um, I don't know about you. And so my hope is that this series will free you, that this series will, will free you, and that is actually the goal of the gospel because the gospel is good news. And if the gospel isn't good news, then it's not the gospel. So the question is, what is the gospel? Well, gospel literally means good news, right? If you go, if you go to the Greek, um, you're going to realize that this, this word, euangelion, is the word. Um, in Spanish, it's a, lot, it's a lot more similar because it's called evangelio in Spanish, but it's where you get the word evangelist, evangelist. It comes from the, the whole idea of good news. An evangelist is a proclaimer of the good news. And so, so what is the good news? What is this good news that we talk about? The good news, the gospel, is good news concerning Christ as the only way to salvation, okay? Now, it's important for us to, dis- to define what the gospel is. We have to define what the gospel is. We have to understand what the gospel is. But just as important as defining what the gospel is, we have to define what the gospel is not. And here's why. Because, because our understanding of this concept, that Christ is the only way, has two sides to it. So Christ is the only way, right? This, this idea has two sides to it. The one side is that there is no other than Christ. So Christ is the only way and there is no other. And I think most of us will agree in this room that there is really no other, right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to agree that there is no other. We're not worshiping Moloch. We're not worshiping, you know, Joseph Smith. We're not uh, worshiping Muhammad. So much, most of us understand that we are here and we understand that there's nothing, there's nothing other than Jesus, right? But that whole idea of, of Christ being uh, the only way to salvation also has another side to it. And the other side is not that it's only no other, but that there's also nothing more to add to it. Um, nothing more, Right? Are we clear on this one? Are we clear that there's nothing more? That there's nothing more? That, that, that there's nothing left to do? Do we understand that, that, that Christ on the cross, he left nothing unfinished? That he completed the task? Um, that's why we said last week that, that the gospel is not an invitation for you to do more and try harder. It's not an invitation. It is an announcement that says it is finished. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. I love this shirt. Tetelestai, right? In the Greek, it is finished. It's, what the, word, it's the words that Jesus said on the, Christ, on, on the cross. It is finished, he said. And so the invitation, the proclamation is it is finished. 
The invitation is believe the good news. That's the invitation. And it's simple enough, right? Wrong. I don't think anyone said right. I still said wrong. Um, you see, the gospel has an enemy. The gospel has an enemy. It has an enemy. And it's not what you think. Because common knowledge says that the enemy of the gospel is sin. That the enemy of the gospel is bad behavior. That the enemy of the gospel is cursing. That the enemy of the gospel is anger. That the enemy of the gospel is, is lust. It's not. It's not. That is not the enemy of the gospel. You see, the curse of sin was taken care of by Jesus completely on the cross. John, first, uh, John 1.29 says this. This is, this is the, John the Baptist looking at Jesus as he was approaching while he was baptizing people. Uh, John the Baptist says this. He says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, not the sins of just Jerusalem, not the sins of just America, not the sins of just part of Europe, the sins of the world. He took care of that on the cross. And it's not just John the Baptist saying, here comes the Lamb of God that's going to take care of everything. But then Jesus actually did it. He went to the cross, John 19, 30. When he received the drink, Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Tetelestai, uh, um, it is finished, right? or it has been consummated. Um, on the cross is an announcement. Listen to this. It's an announcement that sin is no longer the enemy. And John clarifies it here. This is John writing at an older age on 1 John 2.2. He says, he, talking about Jesus, he is the atoning, atoning, that's an important word, atoning. Think about, uh, another word is appeasing. Think about putting out a fire. Okay, so he is the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The, 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 the sin being the fire, the atoning, Jesus putting water on the sin. And not only for ours, meaning the churches he was, he was writing to, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, sin is no longer the enemy of the gospel. That's not the enemy of the gospel. It's, it is, it's, it's thinking that there are still, still embers of sin that we have to put out because what Christ did on the cross wasn't quite enough. We got we to gotta add a little bit more to his finished work on the cross. It's, it's, it's observing ourselves too much. We're looking at ourselves too much. How am I doing? How am I doing? Like, how am I doing? Am I sinning too much? Should I stop? Like, you're always focusing on yourself, and that may seem like a noble thing, but it's actually self-serving because you're focusing on the wrong person. See, the story is not about your sacrifice for Jesus. The, the story is about Jesus' sacrifice for you. That's the story. This whole thing is a one-way love where you are only the recipient. And so am I. So we see when we make it about ourselves, we miss the whole plot of the main story. And you may say, but Pastor Josh, what about life change? Like, isn't that the focus? Isn't that why we come here? For us to, um, to be sanctified? It's a theological term for, for, you know, getting better as you go along. Isn't that the focus? It's part of it, yes, but it's not the main focus. This is where we get it wrong. Think of sanctification or life change as a fruit, not as the root. It's a fruit. It's not the root, okay? Um, 
Think of it this way also. It is impossible for you to have met Christ and for your life to not change for the better. Okay? It's all over the Bible. Okay? That doesn't mean that the Christian life needs to be about the life of the Christian. We're always focusing on ourselves. We miss the plot. Because the good news is not... Here's the thing. The good news is not your transformation. It is Christ's substitution. In other words, you were supposed to be on that cross... Christ said, no, I'm going to do it for you. That's the main thing. Not your life changed, but understanding that Christ paid the whole price in your place. The whole thing. The whole thing. And, transform, and transformation does happen, but not as a result of focusing on myself. How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Right? Am I doing better? Am I doing, am I, we're focusing on ourselves the whole time. It's the exact problem that Peter had when he, was, when he was walking on water, right? Started to sink. Why? How am I doing? Took his eyes off of Jesus. You really can't do both things at the same time. You have to trust in the transforming power of grace, which is much more powerful than legalism. This is how we miss the plot. And it's what this series is all about. I want us to talk about this. I'm so excited about this. I really think it's going to be great. It's been great for me. It's been freeing. Um... Luther, I've been reading Luther, which has been amazing, by the way. Um, Luther says this. Um, he, says, he says, what makes a theologian, this is what makes a theologian, is the ability to distinguish between, between law and gospel. That's, a bit, that's, a, that's, a, that's different. They're two things. And so um, this is what I am going to attempt in this series is to talk about this. That it's not just... Um, um, for us to be able to articulate properly the gospel, that we understand what the gospel is, but that we can also attack and defeat the enemy of the gospel, which is not sin, but legalism. So today's topic is, is a question. It's a question. I want, I want you guys to think about two images. I want you guys to think about a ladder, and I want you guys to think about a cross. And the question is, is it a ladder or a cross? How do you see the gospel? And so I want to start by asking you a question. What's been the hardest thing you've had to do? One of, or one of the hardest things that you've ever had to do in your life? Anyone? Hardest thing? I have to speak in public, maybe? Okay. We won't go there. Don't worry. So one of the hardest things that I have ever had to do was when I had to get my master's in ministry. I was never a good student. The hardest thing that I've ever done, uh, I had to read this really thick book about the restoration movement. It was this thick red book. I had to write four essays on it. Uh, it took me two years. I finished, and I have a picture of my graduation. Look at that. It's a long time ago. Okay, that's me. Don't, don't applaud. It's, no, I'm not doing it because that. No, no, no. That's not the point. It's not the point. Last week we had Shay, right? So we have a picture of Shay. Look at that. There's Shay. He graduated. And then we have, we have Joel, who also graduated. There's Joel. There's Joel. And at the end of service, we're going to do a special prayer for all the graduates. And so, uh, so the, the reason why I bring that up is because this is a big moment. It's a, it's a big moment. Like you, you worked so hard. You studied, right? And we celebrate because there's something that you've earned, that you deserved, right? Uh, and this makes perfect sense because you paid a price, right? You had the all-nighters. You paid for college. And you'll maybe keep paying for another 10 years, you know? But it's a big price. And, and we almost can't help bring the same principle 
of this hard work and then the result of that being a graduation into the gospel, into our understanding of how the gospel works because life is transactional. Life is a transaction. You're nice, they'll probably be nice back to you. You give, and you will probably receive. You pay, you will probably get what you paid for. You invest in your marriage, you're probably going to have a happy life. Life is transactional. You get what you put into it, right? And so that, that idea comes into our, our psyche, and we, we bring that into our concept of the gospel and our understanding of Christianity, in fact, it's so deep that I, because it makes sense. You know, I grew up uh, hearing this. Maybe we still hear it sometimes. Like somebody's at someone's funeral, this person's a Christian, and they will say something like, he graduated into heaven. He graduated. Like now he graduated into heaven. You know, and I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing to say, but I don't think it's very precise. Because it's, the, it's under the, the assumption that, that he or she worked hard to be a good Christian. He or she came to church every Sunday, um, prayed every day, was kind, and you have to maybe make some stuff up because it's possible that this person was at, more of a jerk at the end of his life than he ever was. But nobody wants to talk about that, right? Because you never know. I've been in funerals like that. But the point is, um, we say that he graduated into heaven. So he worked hard his whole life to become a Christian. And as a result of all of his hard work, now he can go into heaven and be with Christ forever. That's the reward. That's not the gospel. Salvation is not a transaction between you and God. It is a one-way declaration your sins have been forever canceled from the cross. Now, it would be a transaction if you were perfect. Matthew chapter 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if you're perfect, then that might be a transaction. Since you're perfect, now you can enter into rest. You know, I won't ask to raise your hand if you're perfect because somebody might throw you out. Nobody's perfect. That's the point. Um, you see, I, I grew up believing, I can't believe how many times I say that. I grew up believing, I grew up believing, there's so many things that I've had to unlearn. I grew up believing that Matthew chapter 5, which was be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, was a challenge. Like I had to work hard at it, like it was a goal, like it was an objective. Like it was, it was a, a challenge to meet, when in reality what it is, was it is a wall that Jesus wants, to, wants us to crash into. And realize, then how? Then how does this whole thing work? This is so foundational. You see, the enemy of the gospel is not, is not sin. It's, it's legalism. And legalism is, is the belief, listen to this. Legalism is the, the belief that there is a gap. There's this gap between the finished work of Jesus and what we have to bring to the table in order to make that complete. That is, that is the essence of of legalism. There's a gap, and we must somehow fill it. The problem is nobody knows what's in that gap. Like, what is it that you bring to it? Some people may say, it's faith. That's what I bring to the table. And you will quote Ephesians chapter 2, which says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, Right? By grace through, how does that continue? I haven't been to read it. Um, and this is not from you. It is a, not by works. This is, this is a gift from God so that no one may boast. And so you're like, there it is. It's faith. 
That's what I have to bring to the table. It's, it's my faith that fills that gap that needs to be filled, right? Um, but Paul knew. That's why he says right after that, he's like, oh, and stop. Before you think it's, that's what you have to bring to the table, and that, by the way, is not from you. It is a gift from God, so that no one may boast. Okay. So even the faith required is a gift from God. It is not from you. You see, that's legalism. It's the insistence that the work of Jesus was not actually finished on the cross. We must, we must have something to bring. So, so the enemy of, of the gospel is not sin. It's legalism. And we think it's sin because, because we don't understand sin sometimes. Possibly we don't understand sin. You see, sin is missing the mark. That's, that's, a, that's a good translation of, of missing the mark. Like there's this bullseye, right? You got you to hit it right in the center. You got to hit it every single time. And the, the, the center, the bullseye is, is perfection, you know? You have to get it right every single time. Every single time. Every single time you have to get it right in order to reach what is required. So not only be generous, not only be kind, not only be forgiving, not only be patient, but do all these things all the time and from the heart. Not even just doing them, but actually having the right heart and actually wanting to do these things. This is what is required. Um, Jack Miller, a Presbyterian pastor, said, it's a funny phrase, he said, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you think you are. And so we, we think, see, here's, here's the problem. We think that sin is a, is a practice that should be conquered by us. When in reality, it is a fire. Remember the, the, the sin being a fire that has been quenched by Jesus. By Jesus. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the enemy of the gospel is not sin, but legalism, which brings us back to the story of, of Mary and Martha. And so I want to ask you a question as we, we begin to, to close here. So much to say here. We'll, we'll keep going um, in, the, in, the, in the next weeks. It brings me back to the story of, of Mary and Martha. And I, and I want to ask you a question here. Is what do you do when Jesus enters your home? Jesus enters your home. What do, you, what do you do? What do you do? You see, many, many here are baptized. Many love Jesus. We could say that he's, he's in your home. Like, he's part of your life. So what do you do? What do you do? Um, it's an amazing honor to have Jesus as part of our lives. So what happens next? And so for many of us, you just go back to the, the, the career concept of like, okay, now you got to, like, do stuff. You got to work hard. Like, you gotta, you got to do all these things. There's not a lot of time. We've got to serve Jesus. Like, that's our goal. We have to serve Jesus. Jesus served us. We have to serve Jesus. Let's, let's make our life about serving Christ because that's the main thing. This is how Martha understood her interaction with Jesus. And two words that Jesus um, uses to describe Martha, two words to describe Martha's relationship to Jesus, Work and distraction. And she was literally serving Jesus. But she was distracted and she was working. Um, 
So even serving Jesus can be a distraction. Have you ever been there? I have. And then Martha's frustrated. She's like, look, look, look at all I'm doing for Jesus, and you're sitting there doing nothing. Just sitting at the feet of Jesus while I'm doing all this work. You're just sitting there and just resting in his love, resting in his mercy, resting in his forgiveness. What a waste of time. While I'm doing all these things for Jesus. Um, Martha says, look at her. She's wasting her time. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus, again, surprises us with his answer. He just surprises us. He, said, he talks to Martha with, with so much love. He says, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. I, I want to say this to you right now. Like, just replace your name there. I could say Downy, Downy. Just think about your name. You know, Tony, Tony. Shay, Shay. You know, Randy, Randy. Um... The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus did not tell Martha she was necessarily doing something wrong. It's good to serve Jesus, but it's not about your sacrifice for Jesus. It's about Jesus' sacrifice for you. That's why Martha was feeling worried and she was feeling upset. Jesus wasn't mad at her. He just didn't want her to feel worried or feel upset. And he doesn't want that for you either. So maybe you're here this morning and you're, that's what you're feeling. Like you're feeling worried and you're feeling upset. It's very possible. And that's what you're feeling right now. Um, even while serving Jesus, this is, these are the feelings that you're having. And serving Jesus is great, but it's not what it's about. Now Mary, on the other hand, was at the feet of Jesus. Literally doing nothing. So how is it possible that this nothingness would be the one thing that is needed? That this nothingness would be the thing that is better? And that this nothingness is the thing that will never be taken away from her? What is this thing? Well, this thing is not a thing. See, he's a person, and his name is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus my service to him. It's not Jesus plus my good works for him. It's not Jesus plus my effort. Like a pastor once said, he said this, he said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, there's nothing to add it is finished. He is here. And whatever you feel needs to be added to the gospel, whatever you feel that is on you to do is legalism. And it's the main enemy of the gospel, and we need to put it to death. And so I want to, I want to bring you back to the initial idea of the, of the cross and the ladder. How do you see the gospel? Do you see the gospel as a ladder that you need to climb in order to get to some destination or do you see it as a cross you see Martha saw it as a ladder she's like I gotta do all these things I gotta be busy I gotta do this because I gotta reach some sort of a what that's the problem there's no, there's no end to it and maybe you're here and that's, that's 
that's been your thought process. It's possible. And so the question is how high is high enough? It's where we always get stuck. There's only one answer to that question, and the answer is this. Jesus made that climb for us. And he did not climb up a uh, he did not climb up a ladder. He climbed up a hill called Golgotha and gave his life there for us. And our response to that is not you turn that cross into a ladder again and try to somehow climb it on our own. It is to bow at the feet of the only one who is worthy of honor and praise and worship. That's the most important thing. And it's the thing that will never be taken away from us.